God could have chosen anywhere on earth, but he chose Israel. He could have revealed his redemption anywhere. He chose Jerusalem. The house of the Lord might have been any place on earth. He chose Mount Moriah. Past, present, and future, the mountain of the Lord has been a beacon of hope and remains a strategic site for the next temple of God. Dateline Jerusalem, the coming temple. Thank you so much for joining us today. I believe that part of today's theme, guys, is the future of worship, yes? Finally, we get to the good stuff, right? We get to the good Yay. stuff. You know, Caleb and I are always talking about prophecy and the future, which means there's a lot of bad stuff that happens, <laughs> but we're finally at the end. The stuff that's good, the millennial reign, when God comes in and goes, enough is enough. And this is always my favorite part of the story yes. because that, that end worship, that time of eternal communion with the Father and everything that's going to happen, that makes everything else worth it. So I'm done with all the abominating and desolating of all the yes, previous episodes. I'm ready for this. Good. Good. Dr. Seif is on location at the Mount of Olives. Let's go there right now for his teaching. Flora and fauna motifs are amply represented in ancient Near Eastern literature. Not only in literature, but in depictions, uh, you know, mosaics, frescoes, um, hieroglyphs even. The ancients were game to speak too foreign about garden motifs, all of which, by the way, pale, of course, in comparison to Gan Eden, the Garden of Eden. I mention this because you look in the Bible and uh, the Lord God creates, uh, and he places Adam and Cheva in paradise, in a garden. You read in early Genesis chapter 2, Vayiklu ha-shemayim v'ratz v'kolte v'am v'yikala lehim b'yom ha-shvi'i melach to ha-shir that God, uh, he, he rested. He, he worked and he rested. And, and there's something about a, uh, a, a, a garden motif that kind of reflects felicity, uh, peace, a kind of rest. Well, Bible readers know that rest was disturbed. Bible readers are aware that uh, all of a sudden there was a voice, Psst, hey lady! And all of a sudden, there's a problem. In Hebrew, it's called chet. Chet. It, it, it's a word for sin. It's not just a violation. It's a vitiation. That is, there's something that is inherently defiling associated with it. it ruinous. So that's the problem. You know, you've read five minutes into the Bible, you realize we've got a big problem. we got a big God, too, so we have a big answer. And this series explored... The answer, of course, a theme, though not always articulated explicitly, it's tacit, that is, it's inferred throughout. It's the concept of atonement, that is, forgiveness. And it begs the question, how does God affect that? Obviously, sin makes its entrance into the stage of the drama in early Genesis. What's the fix? People ask today, what's the fix? We have problems in government. Uh, we need a new president. We need a new judge. And Look, we do need new presidents and new judges, you know, as we make our journey through life, some are better than others. But the real problem isn't going to be solved politically. It's inherent. It's in the human condition. And sin is at the root of it. Salvation is at the solution of it. And the coming of Jesus is the ultimate fix. Now, if you look in biblical literature, we run upon sin. Once upon a time, Adam and Cheva, they were in Eden with the Lord and they were present with him. Again, just to speak of the word presence. The problem is, of course, they were cast out of his presence. 
and you know, I learned from people when we were on the set doing a series sometime back, David and Kirsten Hart, my co-hosts, they're worship leaders, you know, and they were underscoring the whole idea of uh, the, the attraction to praise and worship is to enter into his presence. Um, it, it is an emotive element. It, it affects the feelings. Nothing problematic with that that, 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 that sense of closeness. Well, if you look at the story of how God wants to bring people close, uh, we, we, we note in early Genesis people were pushed far away. And we've examined in the series that God set up a mechanism to bring people back through uh, the, the Mishkan, the portable worship center, through the Hekol, the temple, the Beit HaMikdash, the holy house. There was a mechanism where people would come and bring a sacrifice, and there they would meet a priest who would officiate on their behalf. Readers come upon that in the Older Testament. In the Newer Testament, they come upon Jesus, who in effect is noted explicitly as our uh, high priest and our sacrifice both. So you have the, 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 the priesthood concept that is uh, very well represented in the Newer Testament as in the Older Testament, beginning and end. In early Genesis, by the way, there's sin. Uh, in Exodus, there's the manufacture of a tabernacle. In Leviticus, there's instructions for a priesthood, etc. If you look not just at the Older Testament, but you, uh, you, uh, you fast forward into the New, the whole idea of a temple comes back to life. It's predicted in Ezekiel that uh, uh, in conjunction with uh, end time events, a temple has been, uh, is going to be rebuilt and uh, sacrifices are going to be reinstituted, arguably symbolic, that is symbolic of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Well, when you look in biblical literature, you find uh, this whole idea of a temple being uh, rebuilt, and it's part of uh, end times experience. And because we're in a reconstituted nation state of Israel, uh, with interest in rebuilding the temple, with the ashes of the red heifer and other things that are part of uh, instituting a service in the temple, with the manufacture of the paraphernalia that goes along with it. Uh, we're living in interesting times, prophetic times, and God is indeed at work in the world. He's brought Israel back to life, and I hope as you uh, explore the Bible with me and the, the main person in the Bible, Jesus himself, I hope in as much as you've discovered that God brought Israel back to life, you'll discover he brings you back to life as well. More to come as we consider Dateline Jerusalem and look at good news here in Israel that has prophetic implications. As we've already documented in this series, plans are presently being made for a third temple in Jerusalem. Priests have been readied, the golden menorah as well as other temple vessels are prepared, and the subject of the ashes of a red heifer has captivated the thoughts of believers around the world who are in tune with Bible prophecy. Yitzchak Mamo is among those who are preparing for the ceremony wherein the ashes of a red heifer will be gathered at this site on the Mount of Olives. There is two options that God will give us the temple. One way, it's our way, that we had to make the ceremony of the red heifer. We had to start to find a solution with the Islamic people, how to get a license to build the temple. And then we have to find worker and then architect. And it will take 20 years, only the architect, because you know, the fire department will not give a uh, license and then the, uh, it's, it will take time, but it will be happened. 
And the second option that we believe it's, it's possible that God actually bring the temple from the sky down and it will happen one day. You know, we are standing in Mount of Olives and the prophet Ezekiel say that the two legs of God will stand on Mount of Olives and then the Mount of Olives will separate and the water came from the Gihon and it's kind of a miracle. So yeah, it can be a kind of a miracle. It can be a way that we will do it and it can be a miracle, we don't know. When it's a light, it's very easy to say thank you. When it's a dark, then you have to find your believer. This is your test. Your test is in the hard time, not in the good time. In the good time, it's very easy to be a believer. Oh, thank God, thank God, thank you God, thank you God. At the moment that you have problems, that you have dark, then let's see you. And I believe that we don't have to wait to see the dark to believe. I believe also in the morning. And we don't know there will be a third war, uh, a third war. It will be uh, uh, Russia, Ukraine, China. I don't know what is going to be happen. Iran. I don't know. We are believers. We believe that God promised our this land. We believe that God decide to redemption his land back and his land to be redemption. And again, we, you can close your eyes and say, no, it's uh, only coincidence. And you can open your eyes and see the Messiah is here. Isaac mentioned many times the word redemption. Mm. And it sounded to me like their redemption, their savior is already here. Well, they believe the Messiah is here today. He's a man that hasn't been identified because he hasn't started building that temple yet. That's one of their options they're waiting for. We know, guys, redemption has already come. His name is Yeshua, and he came to save us from the brink of hell. A temple is not going to redeem us. A red heifer is not going to redeem us. Purification can only come by the spotless blood of Yeshua. All of those different tools were only used to get us back into the place that we were in the garden. Yeah. God communing with Adam. Mm. Sin separated us from God. The moment that sin happened, God could not commute with man in that same way. So he's used these different tools throughout time mm. to bring us in a position to where we could commune with him again. But our sin is what nailed Yeshua to the cross. Mm. And our sin is what he paid the price for. We have to get that sin out of our lives That's right. so that we can commune again with him the way he wants to, that redemption price that he paid for us. Yeah, and you guys know Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Yeshua is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you too can be saved. That's the message we need to be preaching to the Jewish people. They're, they're desperate. They want redemption. And the salvation is not coming through the temple. It's not coming the through the temple The salvation is coming through the one who will ultimately that's, sit on th that throne right. on the fourth temple, correct? The fourth temple, that's right. That will be the millennial temple because Ezekiel 40 through 47 describes a square mile of the temple complex, the biggest temple known to man. It cannot fit on the current Mount Moriah. Isaiah 2-2 has to happen first, where that mountain is enlarged. It becomes the highest of all mountains, and only Messiah can do that miraculously. So this next temple to come is the third temple, a tribulation temple, and we know what happens in the middle of the seven years, bad things. <laughs>
I'm sorry. Good. <laughs> That's good. Guys, thank you. Right now we take you to Dr. Seif's teaching, the Mount of Olives. Let's go there now. Journalists use the term dateline to affix a place and a time to a story. So you can look at pre print media, it'll say New York City and give a date to it. It's the date line. We'll talk about a time and a place. This certainly is the place, Jerusalem, the eternal city. And indeed today, this is the time special things happening to be sure. And this, uh, uh, th th this, this uh, series that we did explored the miracle in the desert, the emergence of the nation state of Israel. And in conjunction with that, the emergence of temple worship at the ragged edge of history. Jews have been without a uh, Beit HaMikdash, uh, without a temple complex for 2000 years since its destruction, which Jesus prophesied. Uh, but uh, Jews envision a, a, a coming temple, and with it, God's presence returning in a special way. We have explored with you issues associated with that in this Dateline series. Well, it's a modern series to be sure, but we're not the first one to tell the story. I think of Ezekiel, who in so many ways has been my go-to source here. He says in uh, chapter 43, verse four, to use his tongue, he says, and the glory of the Lord came to the house. Ezekiel predicted that the nation would be reconstituted as a state, that the temple would be rebuilt within the state, and God's glory would come to the place, kavod. Uh, it's a Hebrew word for weight, his presence. Now people that, that visit Israel, they, they feel the presence in so many ways. There's an allure. That's why pilgrims have been coming for millennia. And it's escalated, by the way, with the modern nation state. And in fact, it's that pilgrimage spirit that brings you to me. That's why you watch a program, Our Jewish Roots. If you can't get to Israel, you still want to get Israel to you. There's just something about looking at the good news through the eyes of the Jews. Well, I want to pick up here some more on Ezekiel, but I want to remind you of something that I've given voice to before. Here in the Mount of Olives, there's a cemetery where hundreds and thousands of Jews are buried. And they count themselves fortunate to be able to rest here because they're resting here in anticipation of what in the Jewish world, the resurrection to life, the resurrection of the dead, they're looking forward to the world to come and they're expecting something special to happen in Jerusalem at the ragged edge of time. And their resurrection will accompany, be part of that special, the greatest show on earth. Well, could it be that we're experiencing some precursors to that final great experience? Uh, it's long predicted in chapter 43, verse seven, uh, and he said to me, Ben Adam, son of man, son of man is a term that's used in the Bible, et mekom kis'i, this is the place of my throne. And so, he envisions a rebuilt temple complex in Jerusalem. Behind me is going to be that place somewhere, sometime, soon coming. And he says, I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel. Eshken shom betoch b'nei Yisrael leolam, forever. 
again, he sees a kind of permanence here, which is why when you read Ezekiel, yet you have to look over the horizon into the future. People say, well, you know, the temple was uh, rebuilt yesteryear. It's all fulfilled prophecy. The Jews came back from captivity. Uh, this stuff belongs to yesteryear, not to today. But over and again here in the text, this prophet says, know that, that God's going to rebuild something. The temple's going to be rebuilt here, and it's going to last here forever. But we've seen temples come and go here, but none of them that have lasted forever. I'm fumbling with pages a little bit. I want you to go to the back of the book. The last thing that's prophesied here, the last statement is in Ezekiel is so very profound. V'shem ha'ir miyom Adonai shema. And the name of the city will be called the Lord is here. People know the Lord has been here. Jesus came to Jerusalem and died here. Um, even Jewish people that don't believe in Jesus know the city is special, but for other reasons. There's indeed something special about this city that's going to be called the Lord is there. The Lord is in this place. That's particularly true when you look at history at the ragged edge of time. God is up to something special. And in this series, we've explored aspects of that as we've looked at Dateline Jerusalem. There's little question that the Lord God, Elohim, chose Jerusalem as the place where his name would be honored. It all started with Abraham's ascent of Mount Moriah to sacrifice his son Isaac. In time, two temples would grace what would become known as the Temple Mount, with plans underway for a third temple. As we've seen in this series, God's sovereign plan and blueprint for the temple had already been established in the tabernacle. We took our cameras to a wilderness area in southern Israel to film a full-size replica of the tabernacle to learn more about how God's salvation plan was wonderfully displayed long before the temple. Ariel Sims, the spokesman for the tabernacle, has provided wonderful insights and shares with us now his own personal encounter with the Lord's plan of salvation. My mom's Israeli. She was born and raised in a kibbutz up north, um, not too far from Haifa. She, uh, she came to faith when she was 18. On her 18th birthday, she was born again. And that's a whole nother story, amazing story. My dad uh, is American, he from, he's from Chicago. Uh, he grew up Catholic, though not so religious, and he came to faith when he was 16 or 17, which is also another fascinating story in and of itself. Uh, when my, my mom finished her military service, her mandatory uh, IDF service in Israel, she finished that, she went to a Bible college in, in Chicago called Moody, Moody Bible Institute. That's where my parents met and got married. and. Uh, and uh, they came to Israel. I was born in Haifa, and I grew up in California. Um, and we came back to Israel back in 2006. So I grew up most of my life in faith. My parents raised me in the Messianic faith and in the, in the, um, as a believer. But I personally wasn't saved until I was 14. It was only when I was 14 that I realized that I need to make the decision for myself, and not just because it's the way my parents raised me. Yes, it's, it's the parents' responsibility to raise their children in faith, 
but it but each person needs to make that decision for themselves to follow Yeshua or not. Such a great testimony from Ariel. Something that we all need to do in our lives is to have that personal connection mm. with Yeshua. Yes. Yes, it is. Even though he he grew up in a Jewish home, his parents are believers. You guys, the same same mm. story, right? It's sure. such a cool story. We don't often meet people with that same story. Yeah. That, that we were are Jewish, but we were born in a family mm -hmm. that raised us already believing Yeshua was the Messiah, and it makes it so much easier. But I, yeah. I, don't know if I've ever heard the story outside but, of our family. But he still had a decision to yes. make. He, he had to mentioned make it personally that, like we all himself. did. Yeah. But it is a miracle, and it shows that we're coming closer to the yeah. end. And we know at the last day of the tribulation, the whole house of Israel will be saved, but there's still that urgency that we need to push for the gospel to go to the, the Jews now. It really is. I love when he was talking about that fourth temple, that final temple, mm -hmm. that ginormous complex yeah. that, ooh, gives me goosebumps, the glory is returning right. to right. this land. Yes. And his name is? Yeshua. Yeshua. Yes, mm. it's good. When you read Isaiah 2, 3, and 4, it says, The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Wow. Hallelujah. That's what we have to look forward to. Uh, we, we, both of our kids, mm -hmm. our uh, old son, oldest son, and our daughter-in-law, she's our kid, were in the army. And wow. when your kids are in the army fighting, you're Trust. always praying for their peace mm. and to think that there is a time on this planet coming where they won't have to train anymore and they won't have to go out and fight. That's no incredible. Yeah. You know, guys, I had the opportunity to speak to Mark Hitchcock, author, expert on Bible prophecy, and I asked him, what does the future hold for us as believers? You're going to enjoy this. In the end, prophetically, everything comes full circle when Messiah rules and reigns from Jerusalem for a thousand years. The question is, what do we as believers do during that millennial reign? What position do we hold in his kingdom? Yeah, well, there'll be people living on the earth during the kingdom age in their human bodies, people that lived through the tribulation period, both Jews and Gentiles. They'll be living and having children and marrying and living in houses. But we'll be there, the church age believers, we'll be there in our glorified bodies. Yes. Because we will have been raptured and, and transformed and, and uh, those who've died have been resurrected. So we'll be there in our glorified bodies. And the Bible doesn't tell us everything we're going to be doing during that period of time. But it mm -hmm. does tell us, I believe, we're going to rule and reign with Christ. Amen. Which that's you know, interesting because you go all the way back to the book of Genesis and God created the man and the woman to take dominion over the earth. That's right. That's why he made us. And we're going to be fulfilling then that purpose that God has for us. And Jesus says in Luke 19, he says, you know, some will rule over five cities, some will rule over 10 cities. That's right. So we're going to have places of administrative authority in this kingdom of the Messiah. Mm -hmm. you know, the Bible tells us too in 1 Corinthians 6 too, we're going to judge the angels. That's right. Now it doesn't mean we're going to judge them, I don't think in the sense that they've done bad yeah, yeah. things, but just we're going to rule over them. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I was like what a, a friend of mine said years ago, he said, this is training time for reigning time. Yeah. So you know, we're, we're training now to reign in the future. And I think that's going to be part of the rewards that we receive. You know, he who's faithful in a little is going to get much. Yeah. And uh, you know, everybody's not going to be the same in, in eternity and as far as rewards go. Yeah. Um, I heard a guy years ago say that everybody's cup will be full, but some people's cups will be larger than others. 
And to me, that's yeah. a good way to put it. You know, no one's going to feel like they, they're, they've yeah. been cheated, but we'll have greater capacity to serve the Lord and, and to reign with Him and rule with Him. So I think that's the main thing that we'll be doing. And again, how that exactly looks during that time, I don't know, uh, but it's going to be far beyond anything we can imagine. I've really enjoyed Mark's insight in this series. And in his book, The End, he goes through the whole gamut of Bible prophecy, but one specific area that he really focuses on in this book is the rapture. He uses scripture to back it up. He gives you the different theories of post-mid and, and pre-rapture, and he says, decide for yourself. Use the scriptures. See what the Holy Spirit says to you. He tells you what he believes, but it's a great resource, and we're giving it to you when you give an offering to us just to say that we love you and to share Yeshua's love with others. Just to let you know, the book costs the ministry money to buy. We are paying Mark back for the book. We are shipping it to you. I don't know if you've purchased books recently on Amazon or where else you, wherever you buy your books. They're expensive. And so that our ministry doesn't go in the hole from sending out thousands of these books for free. We appreciate your generous donation. Your donation goes to the book. It also goes to this ministry. And I've got to mention your interview that you just had with Mark. Mm -hmm. He talked about our jobs and our roles That's in right. that millennial kingdom. We're not just playing harps. No. We have to do stuff. <laughs> this is the boot camp right now to prepare us for the real world, the real eternity. And Abraham understood that. Uh, in, in, in Scripture, it talks about uh, in Hebrews 11, 8 through 10, he understood that it wasn't just about this strange foreign land that he was going to. Um, scripture says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place where he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he migrated to the land of promise as if it were foreign, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob fellow heirs to the same promise, for he was waiting for a city that has foundations, who architect and builder is God. He saw the new Jerusalem coming. He understood that there was a better place coming than the earthly place that we have now. We can get caught up in the now, which is only counterfeit. Why would we want to focus on the counterfeit when what is real, what God has for us, is so much better? Do you want to have a game-winning ball signed by Michael Jordan, or do you want that 3D printer to have it signed by AI? You want what's real, obviously. If you yeah. show up at the cash register, do you want to pay with a counterfeit bill and see what happens, or do you want to pay with real money? Yeah. We need to have our focus on the real deal article. Mm. That time and eternity that we're gonna spend with the Father, that's where this is all going. Mm. That ruling over, we yeah. rule, oh, okay, we, we were watching this, I'm like, we rule over the angels, like who are we, we that we would do that? That's crazy. We are made like Messiah, that's why we're wow. special right in his image. Lot to look mm. forward to. Yep. Thank you for your insight today, guys. It's been great. Mm. There's more to come, but guess what? It's time to go. So as we love to say, Sha'alu Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Our resource this week, The End, written by Mark Hitchcock. This 500-page hardcover book is made available to you for your generous donation to Zola Levitt Ministries. The accompanying bookmark by Joshua and Caleb provides important scripture from God's Word concerning the end. Please remember, we depend on your generous gifts which allow us to bring timely updates regarding Bible prophecy and the end of days. Thank you so much for your continuous support of this ministry. Visit our website, levitt.com, for tour information, broadcast schedule, free monthly newsletter, and online store. 
Join us right now on our social media sites for exclusive content. Call us anytime at 1-800-WONDERS and ask about this week's resource. Please remember we depend on tax-deductible donations from viewers like you. Thank <laughs> you.